Good morning and, and happy Mother's Day. Doesn't this pulpit area look fantastic? I mean, I know they've been working on the renovations, you know, throughout the past year, but as more and more of us are coming back and those who are seeing at home, it's, it's a big change and I love it. I can remember when we first started worshiping in here. Um, matter of fact, I remember that first Sunday. We actually started out in the sanctuary. And every row and every pew was filled. And we had some time of music and worship. And then everybody started processing out one row at a time and coming into here. Well, I was working up in the sound booth, which was up in the balcony. So since I was running the sound system, I was the last one to leave the sanctuary. But then I was the last one to come into this room. So when I walked in the back and could see it was a full house and everything was bright and shiny and new, it was just fantastic. And just for a little marker of how long ago that was, I want to show you a picture of my son because I was pregnant with him at the time. And this is Jeffrey. He's 25 now. So we've been worshiping in this room for 25 years. And I continued doing the sound system for a couple more years after that. And it was time for the church's passion play. It was a big three-night event. We transformed this whole room uh, into the set of the stage. Everybody was involved. And Holly Paul asked if I would do the sound for that as well. And I said, sure. Just one little snafu. I was nine months pregnant uh, with my second child. So, fingers crossed, I made it through the whole passion play, and this is a picture of Brooke now, and she's 23. So, these are my kids. I'm very proud of them. I have one more picture, because it's Mother's Day, and I just want to share pictures. That's the two of them. Uh, We were at Yellowstone just a few years ago, and we had hiked up a mountain so that we could get a better view of Old Faithful from, like, more up above it. It was a neat vacation. I really recommend Yellowstone. But anyway, I just want to say again, happy Mother's Day. It is so good to be back in the church, and it's so good to see so many faces again. Uh, I've just missed you all year long. It's just been a really odd year. I mean, really, like never in my life. I mean, never in my parents' life. And for some of you, never in your grandparents' life have we seen a year like we just had. Uh, now, we got through it for the most part. Um, our family stayed healthy. It wasn't until after the one-year mark of the pandemic that my husband got COVID and my mother-in-law. And so we did that whole two-week quarantine thing in our house. And I know a lot of you are familiar with that. Uh, but by the grace of God, we are all doing great now. But I know it was a hard year for so many of you. Uh, you know, you had your kids coming home and learning from home or the kids being sent home from college. There were job losses and just changes in lifestyles. And and we lost a few family members and some friends. And and I'm so sorry because that that just makes it so hard. It was hard to grieve during this past year. And I look around and I can remember where I would see some of those wonderful saints sitting out here. And I have another picture I want to show you because I can remember the conversations we would have with some of these people. Now, this picture was taken just a few years ago. We had a Priscilla Schreier event here in the church. It was a day-long event ministering to the women, and we got a lot of great moms and grandmoms and aunts and neighbors and friends. But we have Faith Munson here on one side, and she left a beautiful legacy of music. Uh, just Faith had a song for everything. And in the center, we have Betty Chaplin, And she passed away this past year. It wasn't from COVID, but it was still just so sad and so hard to grieve during this time. But Betty's legacy, I think, was just 
her, just her demeanor. She's just happy all the time. She always had a kind word. She pastored to so many people. My dad was at Pittman Manor when she was the chaplain there. So, and she was chaplain, Betty Chaplin. Um, but what a wonderful soul. And they both left wonderful legacies as all the others that we are missing this year. But we have their memories. And we have their legacies. And I hope one day the legacy I leave will inspire those who follow behind me. And I was recently reading about the legacy of Cecilia Payne. Now, you may have heard about her during International Women's Month. But if you haven't, I just want to read you her her story real quick. Cecilia Payne was a British-born American astronomer and astrophysicist born in 1900. When she was young, her mother refused to spend money on her college education, so she earned a scholarship to Cambridge. Cecilia Payne completed her studies, but Cambridge wouldn't give her a degree because she was a woman. So she moved to the United States to work at Harvard. Cecilia Payne was the first person ever to earn a Ph.D. in astronomy from Radcliffe College with what Otto Strauss called the most brilliant Ph.D. thesis ever written in astronomy. Not only did Cecilia Payne discover what the universe is made of, she also discovered what the sun is made of. Cecilia Payne is the reason we know basically anything about variable stars. Literally every other study on variable stars is based on her work. Cecilia Payne was the first woman to be promoted to full professor from within Harvard and is often credited with breaking the glass ceiling for women in the Harvard Science Department and in astronomy, as well as inspiring entire generations of women to take up science. What a legacy. I mean, when I was little, I was told that God made the heavens and the earth. And I'm like, cool. But when they told Cecilia Payne that God made the heavens and the earth, she was like, well, how? What did he use? How long did he take? What's it made of? She was loaded with all these questions. And do you think God was offended? I kind of think God was thrilled that this gifted child was so interested in his creation. I think God enjoyed revealing just a few of the secrets of the universe. And Cecilia didn't keep this knowledge to herself either. She shared this information as a professor to the next generation of astronomers leaving an incredible legacy. Cecilia was like a superhero of astronomy. And I mean, really, who doesn't love a superhero? Let's look at this picture of this great superhero that we have from times past. Remember this guy? I can remember watching Superman. It was in reruns. I'm not that old. But (laughs) this was one of my favorite shows as a kid. I wanted to fly like he did. And you know, the episode wasn't complete until you heard Mr. White say, Great Caesar's ghost. But times have moved on, and now it's the Marvel world. And I just love the Marvel movies. I think a lot of people do. Iron Man's one of my favorite. Black Panther, you can ask my kids, is my favorite Marvel movie. And this past winter, along with millions of others around the world, I got caught up in WandaVision. And I think it was fun because you just couldn't binge watch WandaVision. You had to wait for the next Friday night to come for them to release the next episode. It was like watching TV when we were kids. You know, you had to catch it or you missed it. And then, of course, then there was the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, I didn't see the last episode yet, so don't spoil it. I'm going to watch it soon. But I think there's so many reasons why we like superhero movies. But I think the one common thread is they feel like real people. I mean, we know they're not real people. They're fictional characters. But in their storylines, they have faults. They come with baggage. 
they have backstories. There's reasons why they are the way they are or that they want to do the things that they are doing. They always intend to do good. That's what they want to do. But sometimes it's not always perceived as good or they just simply mess up. Like in the case of WandaVision, I mean, she just wanted to create a world where she could live with the memory of her beloved vision. But in doing so, it just, she messed up a couple people's lives along the way. And, you know, so we, we, we all mess up. And so that's why I think superheroes can actually be relatable. But since Marvel characters are fictional, we have something that they don't have. And that's a wonderful, loving God who cares deeply for us. A God who knows what's best for us, whose timing is always perfect for us. And most, most importantly, we can trust him. And trust is the superpower that I want to focus on. So let's look at some biblical superheroes who are amazing and had amazing trust in God. The first one that came to my mind was Queen Esther. So for those of you who are going to see the play in November with the church, I don't want to spoil the end, but I may. So but I have to tell you the story. So it's really an involved story. Esther has her own book. Um, but basically, in a nutshell... The king of Persia was having a banquet with lots of wine. He asked his queen to come show her beauty, but she refused. He was then persuaded to take away her privileges as queen and find himself a new queen. So a decree went out to bring the most beautiful women of the land to the king's palace, where they would receive beauty treatments and be judged according to their beauty and other things. Sounds a little odd in today's standards, unless you watch The Bachelor. Maybe that's relatable. But anyway, in the citadel was a Jew named Mordecai. He was raising his orphaned cousin Esther, and she too was brought to the palace because she was beautiful. Mordecai stayed as close as he could to Esther by walking back and forth through the courtyard every day. Now, during the story, Mordecai protects the king's life by foiling an assassination plot and wins the king's favor. But at the same time, he offends the king's right-hand man, Haman, who happens to have an ego larger than life. So you can kind of see the superhero story developing here. We have a good guy. We have a beautiful woman. We have a king. We have our villain with his ego. So since this ego is now bruised by Haman, or Haman's ego is bruised, to get revenge, he casts lots for a date to not only kill Mordecai, but to kill all the Jews throughout the kingdom. So Mordecai asks Esther to go before the king to intervene. Now Esther, she's hesitant because even though she's the queen, she can't just go in and see the king uninvited or unannounced. That was the rule. And doing so would result in her execution. But Mordecai, he just couldn't see any other way to save the Jews and told Esther the verse that we're all familiar with. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. That's not the verse I want to focus on. I'd like to read a little bit further into Esther. So we're going to look at uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. So it's here on the screen, and you can look it up in your Bibles or on your phones. Esther 4, 15 through 17. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So Esther, understanding the severity of this situation, knew she had only one way to get through this, and that was to use her superpower of trusting God. 
She knew a serious fast was in order. She wasn't fooling around with the situation. So there was going to be a three-day fast, including nights. That's a big deal. And there was going to be praying because that's the idea of the fast is to use that time to pray. And she wasn't going through it alone. By calling on all the Jews of the land to fast with her, it was like today's prayer chain. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've been really sick or maybe you have a sick family member or something else just really bad happens in your household or through work and you just have the hardest time trying to get the words together. You know you need to pray, but you just, you just can't pull it together. So you call on a friend to pray for you. And that's basically what Esther was doing. She was using her superhero powers to bring in the prayers of the people. And Esther trusted the prayers being said on her behalf to a God she could trust. And you know what happened? Esther entered the king's court, and he received her with a smile. He honored her request to protect the people, her people. And Mordecai took Haman, our villain's job, as second in command. So it sounds like a superhero story, doesn't it? With all our characters and the scenario that was going on, the good that was done. You know, somebody's position was raised because of his faithfulness. I mean, it's a great superhero story. So i got to tell you another one. Our next superhero is Hannah. We learn about Hannah in the first in first Samuel. Hannah was the wife of a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah had another wife named Penina. Penina had children, but Esther did not. And Penina was not compassionate at all. Actually she provoked and irritated Hannah all the time about the fact that she had children and Hannah did not. And Penina, she just was just, just such a, I guess, a, a, just a bother to Hannah. Well, one particular year, Elkanah took his wives to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice. And while they were eating, Penina started to tease Hannah again about having no children. So you know what Hannah did? She got up and punched Penina in the face. No, she didn't do that. She got up and told her off. No, she didn't do that either. Hannah told Elkanah, he's got to dump this wife. She's no good. Now, this is not a reality show. This is a superhero story. We're leaning on our superpowers. So Hannah went to the temple doorpost to bring it all to God. So we're going to read 1 Samuel, starting with chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And this is what that says. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Hannah did have a child and she named him Samuel. 
And when he was about three years old, she kept her promise and took him back to the temple for Eli to raise. Now let me tell you, there is a whole lot of superpower trusting going on in this whole entire story. First, Eli had to trust what Hannah was praying for was worthy. He didn't ask what she was praying for, but he could tell, he could just feel from God that it was worthy. So he trusted Hannah with giving her his blessing. Hannah trusted God that he would answer her prayer. She was so confident that she went away glad and she ate and was happy again. What a great example when we pray and decide that we're going to trust God, that we can just walk away and feeling happy, knowing it's in God's hands. God trusted Hannah that she would keep her promise. Remember, she said she was going to bring her child back when he was about three years old. And she could have found all kinds of excuses saying, oh, you know, you know, not at this time or maybe later. No, she kept her promise. God trusted that she would. Hannah trusted Eli with raising her son. Remember, he's an older man now. He had two older sons who, they didn't turn out so well. So Hannah trusted that Eli was going to do well with her son. And Eli, of course, trusted God to help him raise Samuel and make him the man of God that everybody's hopes were in. So now let me blow your mind with the reward of Hannah's trust and patience. Trust and patience kind of go hand in hand. You see, oftentimes we trust God to answer our prayer in our timing. We want to see instant results because if we don't, then maybe our prayers aren't being heard at all. That's how we feel sometimes. But Hannah trusted God for a baby and that he would be brought up well by Eli. And that was it. That was all she was looking for at that time. But Samuel grew up to be a judge and a prophet, and he appointed David to be the king of Israel. And from David's line came Jesus. Wow. She probably never even saw the big picture, how her faithfulness was going to eventually result in Jesus. So Hannah got to be a part of that. She's like a multi-generation superhero, so to speak. So now, not in her lifetime, she did not get to see all this unfold. But what an example in patience. Since God is the Alpha and the Omega, we have to trust that no matter what happens, it's part of his big picture. So now I've told you about Queen Esther, and I've told you about Hannah. Now I want to tell you about Irma. Now Irma can't be found in the Old Testament, and Irma's not in the New Testament. Irma's actually in West Stepford. She's probably in church herself right now. She raised six kids. She has 15 grandkids and has the most genuine soul I know. And she's also a pastor's wife, and that's her superpower. So Irma is married to Pastor Harry Presley, and they minister at Calvary Chapel in West Stepford. My oldest brother has been a member of that congregation probably since the early 90s, so I've gotten to know both of them. And this past fall, Irma and Harry both contracted COVID, and I had no idea how bad it was until my sister-in-law recently shared with me their story in the Calvary Chapel magazine. Irma had tested positive first, and then Harry did, but it hit Harry harder. He wound up going to the ER, he was treated and released, and he thought he was feeling better, but he relapsed, you know, with the typical symptoms. He turned gray, short of breath, incoherent, and since Irma was still sick, their daughter had to drive Harry back to the hospital. And during the early times he was there, Harry started thinking he wasn't going to make it, and frankly, the doctors even told him he had a slim chance of survival. But Harry has quite a story to tell about his time in the hospital and his conversations with God, and he's doing well now. But I was intrigued how the magazine shared Irma's perspective. 
And I don't even want to paraphrase it. I want you to hear the story in Irma's words. As my daughter drove out of our driveway to take Harry back to the hospital for the second time, I felt an incredible panic begin in my heart. Would I ever see my husband alive again? It was a hard night, the dark night of the soul, as some people say. I knew that this was going to be a night where I needed to feel God's presence. Lying down in my room in the dark, I recognized the fear that comes when the enemy is trying to destroy our faith. He doesn't back off when we're in trouble, but comes full force with his tormenting thoughts. But in that same moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart to say, you can choose peace. Just take it and let me cover your heart and mind with my presence. And that's what I chose instead of the panicking fear. And yet, I don't even know if I had the strength to vocalize that, but the Lord knew. And as I physically reached out to him, I felt his peace cover over me like a blanket. As a tender father would put his frightened child to sleep, the Lord watched over me, and I slept like a baby that night. The next morning, I woke up to a phone call from Harry, and he said, Hi, hon. I feel better. From that point, my heart was empowered, even though I wasn't sure how this situation would end. God's presence stayed with me, giving me faith instead of fear. I was actually living that simple verse in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. My husband came home a few days later, and as the Lord has renewed his strength, in fact, he says he feels better now than he ever did. God has shown us that it doesn't matter how sick you become. If it's not God's timing to take you, then you're not going anywhere. And if it is his timing, it doesn't matter how healthy you are. He's going to take you home. These truths give such peace that as believers, our times are in his hands. Even the times that seem sad, evil, or unexplainable. God's power is actively working through those things. Working all things together for good and for eternity. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So if that's the case, if that's the case, why is it so hard to trust him? Brooke and I were talking a few weeks ago about trust, and I was telling her as I'm getting a little more mature, you know, (laughs) I'm learning things through life, and I find that I'm able to trust more, and I'm developing, you know, that characteristic of trust. And she said, but well, how old were you when you were able to start trusting? And I said, well, I don't know, like last week? I mean, honestly, it's something that we have to put into practice and something that we have to use to build it. So again, why is it so hard for us to trust God? For me, maybe for some of you, it's because I want to be in control. I mean, as a responsible adult, shouldn't I be in control? But who's really in charge? Let's go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Even Cecilia Payne knows that. And one way, I reset my morning every brain, every brain, every morning. One, I reset my brain every morning with this quote. I'll get the words out. Lord, Help me remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I together can't handle. Do you know why nothing can happen that God can't handle? Because he created it all. It's all his. What on earth, and I literally mean what on earth can happen that he can't handle? And it must sound silly to think that a problem is too big for God. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. 
Is anything too hard for me? But when we're in the midst of a problem, sometimes it is hard to trust, especially when we feel like he's not answering our prayers or seeing our situation. But just don't think for a second that he's not working on our problems. One of my favorite Joyce Meyer quotes is, as long as we believe the word of God, no matter what we see, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel, God is working in our lives and we have already won the battle. And remember, only God can see the big picture. Like think of it as a jigsaw puzzle. Sometimes I think I'm that little piece with the green leaves and some grass. It's kind of like you just don't know where it belongs. But God knows where that piece belongs. And that puzzle is not complete until that piece is in there. And sometimes I'd like to think, well, I want to be next to the face or the clock or something more significant in the puzzle. But God's like, no, I know my place for you. And it's right here. And it's intentional. And it is good. And the puzzle's not complete until every piece is there in his timing. And only God can look down and see that big puzzle and know that it is good. So just kind of like Hannah, remember her? She had no idea how she would impact the world generations later when Jesus was born. We just need to trust God's ways, his timing and his planning. So I've come to the point when I pray about problems that I feel like are always there. I start thanking God that he is working on them and protecting me in the meantime. I mean, why wouldn't he? God loves me and God loves you. And God wants the best for all of us. God is a kind, good, loving God. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I finish my morning prayers thanking God that when I pray in the name of Jesus, he will hear and answer my prayers according to what's best for the kingdom and what's best for me and my family. And he's the one who knows what's best. I just love the old hymns. And I know most of you here and at home recognize the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I love the part in the beginning. It says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And what a blessing to trust God with the little things too. You know, the day-to-day things. Moms, you got to understand this. You have your agenda. You know what you're going to do on this particular day. You got the to-do list. You know where you're going. And then something comes along and sabotages your plans. Happens to me all the time. It happened to me just a few weeks ago. It was a Saturday. Brooke was away for the weekend. Jeffrey had a bike race and Jeff had gone with him and I had the house to myself. And I'm like, this is it. I'm going to get this house cleaned in no time. There's nobody here, you know, to get in my way. I'm going to get this done and no problem. And then Brooke sent me a text message and said, mom, the lady who travels, who cleans our Western show hats for horseback riding, um, is at the dream park. And since she travels, you have to catch her when she's in the area. So she's like, mom, you got to get her hats over there. I'm like, oh, okay, I knew she was right. There goes my plans for cleaning the house. So I grab her hats and I go off to the dream park and I find the lady there and she says, okay, yeah, I can shape and clean your hats. Uh, got a couple ahead of you. Give me two hours. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this wasn't in my plans, but here I am. 
So I thought I would just go into the show ring. There was a horse show going on. And I just thought there's got to be somebody there I know. And so I step inside and this random woman stands next to me. And she starts asking me questions about what's going on. Like, explain to me, uh, she was asking, what's going on in the show ring? And why are they doing it this way? And why are they dressed that way? And she had all these questions. And I thought it was odd because it's not really a spectator sport. Most of the people are there or horse people. But after talking to her for a few minutes, she explained that she worked at the therapeutic horse riding program in the building next door. And she helps people with special needs with horseback riding, and her background was in special education. And she went on to say that she wanted to learn more about horses, how to put a halter on, how to tack them up, take them to the field, bring them back. But she felt like the horse people weren't really giving her that opportunity to do that. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, you've got something they don't have. I said, you have this background in working with people, you know, people with special needs. And you understand maybe how their legs need to function to get on the horse. And you understand about the hand position for the reins or maybe just the commands and how to vocalize or share how to understand what the trainers are saying so that they can enjoy the experience of riding. I said, the horse people don't have that. That's something you have. And she looked at me with big eyes and her mouth open. She's like, oh my. She says, I never thought of it that way. She says, thank you so much. She said, I was really getting ready to just give up on the program. But she says, you've just blessed me. And... Now, since she's back with the riding program, how many more people is she blessing now because she knows where her place is with that program? And so you know what happened when I went home? My house got cleaned anyway. So you know how it goes. When you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. I just had to trust that God needed me to be where he wanted me to be on that day. So how do we trust God? Well... It's not easy, but you have to decide you're going to trust God. I have this uh, trinket. I'm going to show you a picture of it. It's like a little necklace. And it simply says, I will trust. And it hangs over my desk at home. I spent the past year working from home. And I really needed to see this because we all know what this past year had been like. It was a roller coaster ride of ups and downs. And when I would get stressed about the little things and the big things, I just needed to focus on this and say, I will trust And I even added to it and I said, I will trust God. And after I looked at this and I would say it a few times, okay, I could get my peace about me because I knew the God that's in charge, the God of the universe has the whole thing under control and I can trust him. So we need to also remember his faithfulness. We need to think about those times before when he came through for us. And I'm sure throughout the week you're going to be going, oh yeah, I remember that time when I was troubled, but God was there and helped me through. So focus on those for those future times when you really need to put your trust in God. And remember every day that this is the day the Lord has made and rejoice and be glad in it. And no matter what lies before you on any given day, and I know there's some days that are harder to wake up than others, just remember God is with you. So give God the big things and trust him. Give the little things to God and trust him. My prayer for you is that your superpower will be to trust him. Let us pray. 
Lord, thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather on Mother's Day and remember our wonderful moms and grandmoms and the special ladies in our lives. And thank you for the examples that they have set for us over the years, including the superpower of trusting. And we just pray that we can continue on from here, knowing that no matter what any day brings us or any situation, that we can trust you, a good and loving God. In your name we pray. Amen.